You know, I mentioned Jeremiah before, he preached for 40 years and never had a convert. Three sympathizers, but at the end of his life, you know, he was buried in Egypt and probably felt he was, he had accomplished nothing. He didn't know he's leaving behind one of the longest books in the Bible that would go on enriching people for generations and generations. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm here with Alicia Chinchilla. Alicia, hope you're doing well. Good to have you. Excited for today's podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Today's episode is amazing. We are sharing a conversation that Shayla Visser from Alpha Canada hosted with the incredible panel of Dr. Charles Price, Dr. Daryl Johnson, and Dr. Laurel Buckingham. I don't think we've ever had three doctors on the show before. This, that's an incredible panel. I didn't know they were all doctors until I saw these bios. They're incredible. And between the three of them, I love this stat, there's 156 years of collective ministry experience, not collective life experience, professional ministry experience. That is incredible. So let's just take a second. We obviously need to introduce these three and give them the credit they deserve. Charles is a passionate evangelist who has spoken in over 70 countries around the world. He's a former lead pastor of People's Church Toronto and was the host of the television show Living Truth. Daryl is no stranger on this podcast. He has pastored in the Philippines and the U.S. and Canada. He's a great Bible teacher, and he's been on the faculty of Regent and Cary College. And lastly, Laurel pastored Moncton Wesleyan Church for 44 years between 1969 and 2013. Today, he's the CEO of Buckingham Leadership Institute, and these three are just an incredible trio, and I'm so excited for today. Here's the heart behind the conversation. Uh, The team at Alpha has been hosting webinars over the last number of months, and recently, Many pastors and people within church and ministry have become aware just the reality that at an increasing rate, pastors seem to be dealing with tiredness, exhaustion, fatigue, hopelessness, things like that in ministry. And that's not just unique to the pandemic, but it seems as though in the midst of this pandemic, that's increasing. And so the team at Alpha want to pull together a conversation, nothing to do with Alpha, just about life in ministry. And they pulled together three men who have served the church in Canada for many decades individually, have dealt with burnout and depression and exhaustion in ministry, but have come out the other side, loving the church, loving Jesus more, and to try to access their wisdom and experience. The conversations they wrestled with is like, how would you encourage your younger self if you did want to quit? Or what can leaders do now to be sustained by the Spirit to serve well? It was a great conversation. And so we asked if we could share it with our audience here on the CCLP. Amazing. Well, let's just jump right into that conversation. Well, I'm going to invite our three guests to uh, come onto screen now, and I am delighted to tell you that we have over 156 years of experience speaking to you today. They each have so many uh, miles of ministry underneath them, and we are eagerly longing to learn from them. I couldn't wait. I was anticipating this for the last few weeks. I can't wait to learn from them, take notes for my own personal ministry life. This webinar is actually birthed out of a concern we had, and we're hearing from church leaders across the country, and some U.S. stats were starting to point to this, that a great deal of ministry leaders are considering leaving the ministry. And I would love to know from each of you, if you were speaking to one of those ministry leaders, or even your younger self, right now in the midst of a pandemic with all this changing and all this pivoting we've had to do, how would you encourage them? And Daryl, why don't we start with you? How would you encourage your younger self or a, a pastor who is right now in the thick of things leading? Well, first of all, it's good to be with you, Shayla. Thanks for setting this up. It's good to meet you, Dr. B. Um, I'm getting to know some pastors on Atlantic Canada, and your name comes up all the time um, from those folks. And then, Charles, it's good to see you. I remember the time we shared together at the Pastors Conference in Ambrose. What was that? Um, oh, moons ago anyway. So it's, it's nice to connect with you again. What would I say? Um, I thought a lot about that in the last few days since I knew that question would be coming. I think I would ask four questions. First question is, why are you considering leaving? What, what's going on in your soul and in your mind that's making you think that? And I would want to listen because I I can understand some of the reasons. 
The second question would be, tell me what drew you to ministry when you began. Go back to that day when you were first thrilled about being in ministry. Tell me why you were so thrilled. Third question, um, what is the gospel? Tell me, what is the good news of Jesus Christ for the world? And then the fourth question is, tell me who Jesus is to you and to the world. Want me to say something about why I asked those questions? The first one is obvious. I think um, anyone who is under stress and um, who, is, who is facing pressure needs somewhere to articulate the reason why and to be heard by someone who isn't going to judge them. So that's, it would be a non-judgmental posture. Just tell me what's troubling you. The second question, what thrilled you about ministry in the beginning, what I, what I would be hoping is that that would then rekindle this desire why you did it in the first place. Um, because that's where I'd like to take you back to. <laughs> what is the gospel? My, my motive in that question is that the person begins to see, oh my goodness, why would I ever walk away from the gospel ministry? I mean, this is such good news for the world. I don't, I don't want to be left out of this. And then who is Jesus to you and to the world? My thesis would be that just talking about him again and realizing who he is, what he has done, is doing, and will do for the world will ignite passion for him again. And then we can go back to question one and hopefully the answers are different. <laughs> so that's Amazing. Charles, how would you respond to someone who's considering leaving the ministry? It's just been such a wearying year. I think, first of all, I, I want to uh, look generally and realize that we are in a situation that so many other people are in as well. I, I read that 35% of teachers want to quit teaching. Uh, 80% of nurses have considered quitting, 20% of doctors. So we are in an environment where we're living under pressures that we have not had to navigate through before. And pastors are leading with absent congregations and so on. So we have to just take a pause and say there's a general issue here that other people are facing as well as me. But I will go back to something that, uh, that Daryl just said. I, I always look to scripture, there are parallels here. And in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah talks about quitting his ministry. Uh, he, he looks at all the different circumstances and his own internal emotional world. And in Jeremiah 20 in verse nine, he says, if I say I will not speak any more in his name, in other words, if I say I'm gonna quit, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. So I'd ask the question, what is the fire in your bones? Uh, there has been one, as Daryl indicated. What brought you into the ministry? What is that fire? Is it, is it the gospel? Is it a particular message that you have felt called to bring? Uh, is it uh, the exodus of scripture? Is it evangelism? What is that fire in your bone? And I would say then what Paul said to Timothy, fan it in the flame again. Because Paul said to Timothy, and I love the amplified version of this. Uh, I'll read it to you. First, uh, second of one six. I'd remind you to stir up, to rekindle the embers of, to fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you. Now, a possibility is, of course, that the fire has gone out. And uh, so looking at how do I fan that into flame, maybe, you know, uh, retreating for a little while will help to do that, help to get back to that. People do burn out. People do get exhausted. But... I read an article just recently that said nearly all people who quit ministry under pressure regret it later and wish they had stopped and paused and, 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 uh, 
And so I think these two things, the external circumstance, we're all in the similar boat now. In fact, I think we've never been in a situation before where there's a bigger us than there is right now. You know, it's not they there or you here or me back here. There's a, a massive us-ness about this COVID. We're all in it together in the same boat and we're all facing pressures. So I think look at that and say, if that's the pressure, just hang in there because with Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets, and he tried to quit a few times, in Jeremiah 12, he's grumbling and complaining about uh, his circumstances. Uh, and God says to him, if I've run you with men and you're weary, how are you gonna cope when I run you with horses? In other words, Jeremiah, it's going to get worse, not better, in all likelihood. If you fall down in a safe country, he said, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? And later in the same book, he tells us there's lions in the thickets by the Jordan. So it is tough. It may get worse. But what is that inner compulsion, this, this inner uh, fire that uh, brought you here in the first place? And how can that be rekindled? So I would look at that and ask that question. Really helpful. Thank you. Uh, Pastor B. Well, to pick up on what Charles just said, I remember one time with our church board many years ago, I said, if I ever resign, don't let me do it. Send me away on a sabbatical, no matter what it costs you. And uh, because I will probably regret it. And the church will save a lot more by spending whatever money they have to spend to send me away than what it would cost to go through a transition. But the thing that I would say is, Get to be with people that are really fired up about their call and their ministry, every opportunity you possibly can, so that you can stay encouraged. I remember hearing a great leader of a tremendous church, when he was asked about leadership, the number one thing in leadership, he said, the number one thing was to stay encouraged. So whatever you have to do, whoever you have to see wherever you have to go to just stay encouraged I think is a is a major factor and then I think as Christians we've got a, a lot of biblical principles that could really inspire and keep us going during difficult times I think of uh, I think of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament how that he went through the worst rejections and the most difficult trying circumstances that anybody could ever go through, more than what any of us will go through. But God used those things as the very fastest way to help him to see his dream come to pass. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again, that the darkest hour has been the best hour, because we have God has used that to help us to see things that we would not have seen, done things we would not have done if it hadn't been for that. And then I'd just like to pick up... Uh, on on the passion. You know, uh, someone has put this way, more than any other factor, a passion for a vision will determine the choices we make and how we spend our time. And making the right choices and spending the right kind of time, it's going to, and there's something about that passion alive within us that we, we keep it alive. And that's part of staying encouraged. We'll see things other people don't see. We'll hear things other people don't do, hear. We'll do things other people are not willing to do. And it's that passion that sets whatever plans that are necessary on fire so that we can see happen what we all want to see happen. And, and I'll just say this one more thing, that when I think of Nehemiah, I was going through, and I don't know of a pastor or leader who has not gone through dark, dark, heavy times when they all when they wanted to quit i've been there done that and sometimes felt sorry for myself and think that i'm going through worse than what anybody else is going through but i remember one of those times when i was feeling so sorry for myself i read the entire book of nehemiah in one setting and i love what nehemiah had to say he said what god put in my heart to do that call and he had an insurmountable kind of uh challenge before him and then along with that great challenge he had everybody i shouldn't say everybody most people against him people on his team people outside but he said in the midst of that we will arise and we will build and that's the kind of spirit i think that a lot of us have to kind of capture 
Daryl, I see you nodding over there. Did you want to add to that? Oh, I'm just agreeing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, each of you have been through seasons of ministry, as as uh, Pastor B just mentioned. You know, most pastors go through these dark moments in their ministry. You've talked about how to in, to be, put yourself in front of encouraging people, to ask yourselves good questions, to stir up passion. I would love to know what you think from your lessons you learned when you were in those dark times, what leaders can do in this moment to be sustained by the life-giving Holy Spirit in order to serve well. Uh, Charles, why don't we start with you? In our lounge, we have a whiteboard my wife put up with one word on it. It says, abide. And that's a key word, I think, abiding in Christ. What does that mean? It means it, it, it's a spirit, a disposition of dependence on him, love for him, and probably more importantly, a sense of being loved by him, and uh, out of that obedience to him. But that obedience is on the basis of trust, knowing that he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. We're not running out doing things for God. We're allowing God to do things through us, through the vehicle, yeah. our minds, our mouths, our activities, of course. So I think that word abide, every morning when I sit in there and open my Bible, when I get up with a cup of tea, right across from me is the word abide. And uh, my wife put it there because she said, you need to remember this, abide, abide, abide. And uh, I think that that's the key word. Now, I've, I've said to people, do you know what it is to abide in Christ? And a lot of us don't really know. We know the language. We know it's part of the language of Jesus. What does it actually mean? And I think find out what it means. Find out what it means. And uh, read books like Andrew Murray, who encouraged me on this internal uh, subjectivism, if you like, but that brings life where internally, forget about, you know, your open Bible, though you read that, because uh, 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 John 15 is about abide in his word and abide in his love. Those three things follow abiding in him. So I think just get that time where you abide in Christ. You need the focus time alone with him in the word on your knees, but you need also the disposition in every situation, it's not I, but Christ. I'm trusting him. Mm. That brings life. Mm -hmm. Daryl, how would you respond to that? Well, the same way. I would say that the most essential discipline is to be in the word. Um, that is what has sustained me through the hard times. Um, getting up early in the morning and just soaking in scripture. So that we meet Jesus, as he says in John Five, you know, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have life. It, it, they witness to me. It's in me you have life. So um, just spending uh, as much time as possible in the morning um, in the word. Um, uh, I've, I've encouraged people to do that throughout the years. And people will say, well, I'm too weary in the morning. I don't have, enough, I, you know, I've got too much going. I, 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 I just can't make that time. And I said, well... Um, you have to. <laughs> um, and one way to do that is to ask the Lord to wake you up. Uh, he knows your schedule the rest of the day. He wants this for you more than you want it for yourself. Would you guys agree? The Lord wants this. And um, so let him get you up. And I can testify that he has always done that. He's always gotten me up in enough time to be able to spend time in the word. I, I've not used an alarm clock for decades. It doesn't matter where I am. Uh, he will get you up so that he can speak to you and be in the word. So that that's the fundamental encouragement. I have some others too, but that would be the, the non-negotiable. Now, I don't, I don't want that to be legalistic, so I hope I didn't come on too strong on that, but it, there is, there's no other... That's the chief place where he's chosen to meet us. Um, I would encourage my, my weary servants to think of the scriptures as kind of a Zoom screen. <laughs> you open it up and, and Jesus zooms himself to you and, and you can have this encounter. Um, and then, and then, then you can cope. More than cope, you can thrive. Mm. Pastor B. 
Well, I would just certainly concur with everything that I've heard. Uh, my habit is a little different. I got an office at the church still, a different office. And uh, I come here every morning at 5.30 in the morning and spend two or three hours just doing what these gentlemen have talked about. I think also a, a big part of this is having a, a purpose that you're, you're so passionate about. I, I just like to make sure that anybody who's really in a dark hour know that we all relate. Now, maybe some of these others haven't gone through some of the dark hours that I think I've gone through, but there have been some that have just been so painful. I was battle-worn, battle-weary, wanted to get out of Moncton, last place in the world I wanted to be, and feeling sorry and all that, as I mentioned earlier. And in fact, I remember one time things were so bad as we're trying to go through change and see things happen that we thought should be happening. They got a petition to vote me out. Well, I was, I wanted to go more than anybody wanted me to go. So I signed the petition. I mean, uh, we've all been there. And, and I think sometimes the tendency is to feel like that, that people like Charles Price will say, he never had it difficult. Look at the great church he pastored and all that. But I'll guarantee you, there's not one of us that haven't been there and done that. And one of the things that I think we can be tempted to think if we could just have it easy, if we could retire or whatever, whatever. Uh, life is not about pleasure. Life is about purpose. And when we have a purpose that is the right purpose and a purpose that we feel we've been called to, then that is our pleasure as we see those things come to pass that we've committed our lives to. Amazing. I, honestly, I've, I've been watching a little bit of the chat box and all the amens coming through and people that are just like, yes. I, I think Patty Miller at 16 Minutes, uh, she's a pastor in Montreal, said, I'm already encouraged and we're only 16 minutes in. And I think everybody is just so appreciating your, your willingness to encourage us, but also to speak from your own experience. I, I do want to push into so many church leaders I've talked to, you know, they're trying to balance the demands of the church, the demands of their family. Some have young children at home. Some have teenagers at home. Others have grandkids that they can't see. Uh, there is so many different things around balancing family, their staff, their church responsibilities, their congregation, and their own well-being. Uh, can you give us some tips from your own life about how do you manage it in the midst of such a stressful season? What would you suggest that we do? Pastor B. Well, <clears throat> I'm somewhat fanatical about managing my time because I think so many people without even maybe knowing it end up wasting time. It drains them. It adds stress when you don't know what you're going to be doing or what you should be doing or where you're headed. And, and to getting that all sorted out so that instead of being driven continually by the urgent that is just forever causing stress, then we figure out what is important and we schedule the important over everything else to make sure the important, because we get by without ever doing some of the important things and still continue to go through the, the all the things relating to ministry. And, and so getting that sorted out. And, and I would say that figuring all that out is one of the greatest stress eliminators. And when I talk about stress, I'm talking about negative, unnecessary stress that just drain the life of the people. And, and I think one thing that could maybe help us to focus a little bit on that is to seek to make every day a masterpiece. Because yeah. if we don't make every day really count and every minute really count, then we, we're either going to spend time preparing or we're going to spend time repairing. And we never get that time back, no matter how much repairing we have to do. And, and I don't think it's rocket science. I think it's just discipline. And, and I don't think anything really gets accomplished without discipline. Either we got to have other people uh, discipline us or other people hold us accountable, or we got to be able to have enough of whatever is needed to hold ourselves accountable. And it's not, and I, I've come to this conclusion. Now, there may be exceptions. Maybe these men that are on this panel might be the exceptions. But I think discipline is difficult for everybody. I don't think there's anybody that that just comes with ease. And so we have to really put thought and, and, and preparation into 
getting this all sorted out. And that will eliminate an awful lot of unnecessary negative stress. Mm-hmm. Daryl. Well, I, you, you use this word balance. And um, I don't know right now that we can find balance. We're going to be off balance a lot. So I'm thinking maybe the better word would be priority. Have the priorities clear. I think that's what Dr. B is saying. Um, And I I think immediately of that illustration. I can't remember who we give credit to about the big rocks in first. You might know the leadership guru who said that. In case people don't know, this, this, what was his name? Do you know Dr. B? Stephen Covey, I think. Stephen Covey was speaking at Harvard University with a lot of these leaders. And he had on the, the, the platform, he had a, a pile of sand, a pile of gravel, a pile of little rocks, um, uh, some big rocks, and a, and a bucket of water. And he puts, um, uh, he pours the sand into it. And he asked people, is this jar full? And I said, well, it looks full. He says, no, um, because he could then also put, um, am I getting it right? No, 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 no. Backwards. I did it backwards. See, that's the problem. (laughs) So he puts the big rocks. That's right. Puts all the rocks in the jar first. And he says, is it full? And they go, oh, yeah. He says, no, 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 no. So he pours in the the gravel and it fills in between the rocks. And he asks, is it full? And they go, well, it looks full, but we're on to you now. No, it's not full. He says, yeah, pours the sand in, pours the water in. And then he's asked them, so what's what's the point? And to a person, apparently, they responded, there's always room for more. And Covey says, no, 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 you missed the whole point. If you hadn't put the big rock in first, you would have never got everything else in. And so I, I, I think that's the key right now. What are the big rocks? And we've already said it. It's meeting Jesus in the word. It's the life of prayer. It's, it's, it's our spouse if we're married. It's our friends. Um, and then everything else gets prioritized. And hopefully there's some balance in that. But it's prioritizing that I would say is the key. Charles, how would you respond? Well, I'm not sure my track record is, is particularly good in getting the balance. Priorities is a better word that's right. Uh, and if we went through our lives again, I would do certain things differently. I was in England before I came to Toronto, which is where I'm from. And I was traveling a lot, away from home a lot, uh, too much now, without doubt. But, um, you know, I, the, the, there are a few myths that, that we learned. One is about creating quality time for your kids. They don't recognize quality time. They just recognize time. And I think the idea I can make up with what we call quality, what I've uh, uh, deprived them of, um, is, a, is a bit of a myth. What we didn't try to do, what we what we tried not to do, should I say, in a ministry was to blame Jesus for my absences or my stresses. Sometimes say, well, he's away serving Jesus. We never said that. My, my wife never said that. And so they didn't grow up with any sense that there was competition with Jesus, because I know some children in uh, uh, ministry families who have felt that. Also, we try to involve our children in major decisions. When we came to Canada from England, I told them the possibility of coming to Toronto, what the issues were. And uh, they were then 16, uh, 13 and 10. And I said, I want you over the next two weeks to think about this. And I'm going to ask you in two weeks whether you think we should go or not. And if one of you says we shouldn't, none of us will. Uh, but don't feel you have to say what other people are saying. You tell me honestly. So we talked about it openly for two weeks. And then I talked to them one by one. I said, my eldest daughter, should we go? She said, yes. I said, no, that'll mean leaving grandparents, leaving school, new people. Yes. I said, what if we get there and after a year we don't like it? Or they don't like us. She said a very profound thing. If it's right now, it'll still be right then. uh, The the great thing was they all said, yes, we want we want to go. And they came owning that decision. And we had some tough times and difficulties, but they never once said, should we have come? Because they had been part of it. I think that's important because I had a colleague on staff whose parents had been in ministry and they uprooted every four years or so. They weren't uh, pastor B type ministers. They were 
up and off every few years. And they never consulted. He said, we were never consulted and it was so hard for us. So I think keep your children in the team uh, when you make those major decisions. But, uh, but there are other things I would, I would do differently. I think I have about 50 new questions just based out of what you've said. And I'm sure many people will say they have questions. So please do put it in the Q&A box. I'll look at it in a couple minutes and we'll ask as many as we can get to during this time. But I wanted to ask this question to, to pivot the conversation a little bit. That lovely P word we've all familiar with using in the COVID uh, pandemic world. Uh, in seasons like this, how do you keep the mission of the church central and moving forward? Because there's the there's so many changes that church leaders have had to do during this season, and yet we're called to be on mission, to help the poor, to serve the poor, to care about global work, to not forget the poor in global places, because we know how the poor are disproportionately affected during a pandemic, or how to reach your neighbor. Uh, to be a disciple, you know, there are so many needs in the church. There's so many needs in our community. How do you, and what would you suggest we need to do to keep the church, the mission of the church central and moving forward in this challenging season? Why don't we start with you, uh, Daryl? Two things come to mind. One would be, (laughs) you're not going to be surprised to hear this, keep teaching through the word. And, and let the word keep opening up Jesus and his mission in the world. So we keep that alive. This isn't just about us. It's about the whole world. So the teaching ministry. The other would be, now speaking more personally to the leaders, that mission of Jesus in the world is huge. What part of that mission are you in particular called to do? Um, Jesus calls his whole body, his whole church to that mission, but not every single person is to be concerned about every single part of that mission. That'd be my presupposition. So back to fire in your bones, where does the fire particularly burn relative to any part of that grand mission and, and, and go with that? Um, and then it doesn't crush you. Um, you we're, we are called to do our part, our little part, <laughs> in our little part of the world. Jesus is in charge of his own mission. He'll make sure other people do the other parts in their parts of the world. I want to be attentive to that, but I need to stay focused on that little piece that he's called me to do. That would be my recommendation. That's probably true that the other brothers can say it's probably true of congregations too. Not every congregation is called to do everything in the mission of Jesus. It's going to be a function of locality, a function of the kinds of gifts of the spirit that are brought together in a congregation. So find out what is that particular call or calls, multiple calls that that we are particularly to do in our particular place. Give it, give it your all trusting (laughs) <laughs> the Lord Jesus to make his mission work everywhere else. That's my best shot at that. Pastor B. Um, well, throughout history and throughout the Bible, we have all kinds of examples of how some of the worst setbacks that we've ever had to face have been the greatest opportunities to see things happen that would not have happened if it hadn't been for the setbacks. And I think because of the creativity that God has given Uh, hopefully most of us, and we should, it seems to me, could be the most creative people on the face of the earth when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer and the power of the word. There's just power, power, power everywhere. That we should be able to come up with insights and ideas to take advantage of a time like this. And that is being done. And it's exciting to me. I would just say in our own organization, the greatest thing that ever happened to us was the shutdown as a result of COVID because it's generated other ways to minister through online ministry and what have you. And, and we now have all the mentoring we do available online. By the way, if anybody wants to go to ldbuckingham.com and see more about that, they can feel free to do it. But that's what we're, and, that, and it, it's going to give us the ability to go worldwide 
with the mentoring that we were quite limited in doing in, in this Atlantic region. And not only that, as I see local churches, that it's forced the church to get outside the church to a greater degree. Now, I think some churches have already been very creative in doing that, but this has really forced it. And so that a lot of invested, have invested in online ministries. And, and in some cases, here even in Atlantic Canada, where churches tend to be small, uh, there has been a wonderful response to online ministry that is reaching people that would never have been reached if it hadn't been for COVID forcing churches to do more and going online. I just want to say this one example of a great church here in the area where uh, they have invested a pile of money in trying to get online up to par. And they recently got back to their normal attendance. However, 40% of the people pre-COVID had not returned even though they were back to normal. So there was 40% of the people who had never been in the church prior to COVID who connected through online ministry and other ways of being encouraged to get online. So that to me is a great thing. Those people might never have come to know Christ if it hadn't have been for this difficulty that we're going through. And, and I, But I think we've got to be of a mindset to believe that, there can be great possibilities through some of these problems and see it that way and search for it and think it through and pray it through and find the answers. Amazing. Charles, how would you respond? Well, I, I feel a, a bit of a, a fraud because I'm detached from these very issues that uh, you're saying we have to work through. But looking at it from the outside, because I'm not in practical leadership now, I'm a bit detached from that. Looking at the outside, uh, what has been said has been wise and necessary. I think that keep the basics, keep doing the basics, keep opening the scriptures to people, as Daryl has said, keep your activities going. Uh, the People's Church has always had a strong missions agenda. It goes back to its founding and the grounds on which it was founded. And, um, you know, they recently put out an appeal to raise a very significant amount of money for a project in Kenya that has been severely impacted. Uh, children's ministry, mullets, children's homes, some of you know anything about that. And, and, and they put a, a, a very high target, 100,000 who want to raise. And uh, they've come in with three and a half times that amount. <laughs> far, far in excess of what was anticipated. And uh, that's one example, one or two other things that have taken place that keep the ministry alive, especially the giving ministry. Um, often the first place people start to draw back their funding is outside their own needs and uh, stop giving to ministries that uh, are detached from their church, you know, missions and so on. And uh, I think if you keep that I think God honors generosity like that. And so keep that in place. Uh, keep giving. Keep. I don't know how people work with youth and children. I, again, because I'm not practically involved, I don't know all the issues have been worked through for that and how effective that is. But uh, as Pastor B has said, if you look back in history, some of the greatest moves of God have been in situations that nobody wanted and everybody feared. 1949, when China was overcome by Mao Zedong's communist movement and uh, Christians were silenced. It was, a, it was a major focus for Western missionaries. Uh, all driven out, but only 52, every Western missionary left China. And back in the West, in our arrogance, we said, what's going to happen now the missionaries have gone? And then when it opened up 20 years or so later, and you began to see what was going on. You know, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Uh, the fastest growing is in Iran. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And look at all the, uh, the, the oppression and persecution. Hanvers prayed about uh, the, the uh, uh, Middle Eastern situation when the Arab Spring began. Uh, and with the rise of, um, it's kind of my mind, the, 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 the terrorist group that... that caused so much trouble over ISIS. the years. I mean, ISIS. 
there's a church in, in Cairo, the pastor is Sammy Morris, and some of you may know him or you don't. If you don't, get to know him. It's the fastest growing and the largest church in the Middle East now, the Evangelical Church. He says that in the last 10 years, since 2011, more people have come to Christ in Egypt than in the previous 1,000 years. More people in Iran the last 30 years than the previous 1,500 years. 10 million in Iraq have renounced uh, Islam. And Simon Morris will tell you there's a wave of atheism going to the Middle East, but it's an ally atheism. It's a rejection of the extremism in Islam. And, uh, but they've got a secularism, but as Sammy Morris says, the Arabs are a spiritual people and many come to Christ. They used to have two baptismal services a year in his church in Cairo. Now they have one every Sunday. Yeah. So just saying, this is a retrospective view of where the church has been under enormous pressure and our instinct is to pray our way out of it rather than to bring God into it. And I think bring God into this We'll know the story in five years when we look back. There is a story and it's being written. Mm. Well, I want to go to some of the the questions that we have. So I'd love for you guys to respond. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the questions to each of you differently and not have you each answer each one or because there's quite a few coming in. I think the easiest one, Charles, just to you quickly, is you referenced an Andrew Murray book. And I was just wondering, a number of people said, what, what, which book of Andrew Murray's were you no recommending? Called Abide in Christ. It's called but Abide in Christ. Like him, but uh, but Abide in Christ. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I could give other writers. But he, that book is a good one. It was helpful to me many years ago. Great. Uh, there is, I mean, we're speaking to church leaders right now. And so some of the questions that are going to, are coming in are really meeting their heart questions. And so I'm going to ask a few and they're going to be tough ones. And But I think they're important. One of the questions came in is, a lot of pastors are dealing with the pressure of conspiracy theories in their congregations and it's relentless and it's not easily dispelled. And some of the weariness for pastors comes from this and how would you respond or not respond to it? Why don't I give that to you, Daryl? Uh, and <laughs> you can try and answer that one. Uh, it's complicated. And uh, I recognize there'll be lots of different responses to this question, but it was asked and we'd love to put it to you. I had a very long conversation with um, some pastors in the south of the United States yesterday. Oh my goodness, you're just bombarded with this. Oh, how <laughs> number one, I don't think I would try to address head on any of the conspiracy theories. Um, you, you're just not going to win. That's right. Um, it's it's so complex, and um, so so that's number number one. Number two, I think I would I, I would and I do speak to people that help them recognize the nature of social media, and that on social media you can just speak, and all of a sudden it becomes a fact. And so just to warn people that there's just this proliferation of ungrounded opinions, and that's all they are. And, and to be more diligent, to be more careful in what you hear. Third, and I, I'm thinking from the pulpit perspective now, I would just major on Jesus and his kingdom. Just teach the nature of the kingdom. Just keep hammering away at that. Some people from each side are going to ask you to say more, um, resist, resist the extremes, and just stay there and just lift up the nature of the true nature of kingship that we see in Jesus and the true nature of kingdoms that Jesus articulates. And just keep that as the live thing. You might have these other conversations then with people one-on-one, -on -one, but I wouldn't try to address that in public, it's just way too complex. The blinders are so, that's why I put my head down. The blinders are so deep. It's just, I've never witnessed anything like this in my lifetime. And only the Holy Spirit can break through that. Um, and, and, and he will do that through the word. So you just be about 
the word. That that's the best I can do with that. Great. Thank no, thank you, Daryl. We just again, I'm going to throw di- questions coming from different people at different uh, ones of you. So, uh, Charles, going to you. Uh, this is a completely different direction. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord as opposed to waiting for the Lord? We often have our prayers and attention focused on getting out of a current situation or crisis, a future orientation. Is there something God wants to teach us? Something that we may be missing? interesting waiting on and waiting for i think there is a waiting for don't expect god to respond immediately to everything that we'd like to see now we have to wait for him and uh, there's a great verse in isaiah 5:19 that says woe to those who say let god hurry let him finish his work that we may see it in other words we want to see what's going on and so we try to hurry it and he says woe to those who do that so that's a that's a good thing i'm waiting for a waiting on is the disposition of trust. It's the abiding. It's the, I mean, what we know to do is to obey what he's given us to do. If we obey what he's given us to do and we trust who he is, we don't have to have a timeline attached to that. Uh, we can just just uh, patiently wait. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Jeremiah before he preached for 40 years and never had a convert. Uh, three sympathizers, but at the end of his life, you know, he was buried in Egypt and probably felt he was, he had accomplished nothing. He didn't know he's leaving behind one of the longest books in the Bible that would go on enriching people for generations and generations. We don't know what the long consequences are. So I think we, we obeyed, abide in Christ. We do what he tells us to do. We rest on him and, uh, uh, and, and wait. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm very, very hesitant about setting targets in ministries, uh, certainly number-related targets. Now, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is personal to me. Other people do different things. When I came to the People's Church, I said I, I was never would not be comfortable measuring what we're doing by any number, whether it's money, whether it's people, attendance, whatever it is. Although we did eventually agree after several years to measure the number of people involved in ministry and to see that as a guide as to how effective we were. We, we, we were. And that was a very good, good. thing to have done. But uh, I think, uh, you know, God t- takes us by, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he left 120 people in the upper room, preached for three years. That's less than one convert per week. We would have written him off as not a very effective evangelist, preached to 5,000 men once, fed them with loads of fishes how many became disciples no. but then peter picked up the consequence of jesus ministry when the holy spirit came three thousand converted in the first day and so on so i think we just have to obey what he tells us trust who he is and wait be patient yeah. and a man in ministry uh, uncle stephen offered who was a great help to me many many years ago uh, said to me when I was just starting ministry, you need to ask God for three things. Patience, more patience, even <laughs> more patience. And uh, then you'll see what God does. That's the great thing about growing old. Amazing. Well, uh, we are coming closing in on our uh, finish time. And so I uh, would like to ask Pastor B, what is the opportunity the church has at this moment? Well, I think the opportunity that we have is to, because my big thing has always been, my biggest vision and concern is reaching the loss that Jesus died for on that cross. And our whole mission statement was using every available means at every available time and every available place to reach every available person. Everything we are and everything we do is for that purpose. And this would even relate to what you asked Daryl earlier. I think keeping a focus on making the main thing the main thing, what brings people together in unity, you never find unity by going after unity. Unity is a byproduct of something else. And when we have the right purpose, we have several factions in this church and and there are different people, and we didn't have the kind of uh, extremism that there's going on right now. But even if we had, I think if we, because we were so focused on seeing transformed lives and people getting established in the faith, and as that 
continues to be the focus and the passion is there for it and the purpose is there, then that will give us creative ideas. There's all kinds of creative ideas. If we look for them, we don't have to be the ones to come up with all the creative ideas, but they're out there galore. And it's a matter of just seeing that and believing that and going after it. And I thank God that I'm, I'm thanking God. I'm excited about COVID because I think it has caused things to happen that are good that would never have happened if it weren't like COVID or something similar. Charles, we'd love you to pray for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for every person who is uh, connected with us at this moment. Thank you for the day you saved us. You made us aware of our need, of our sin, not to humiliate us, not to rub our nose in the dirt, but in order to clean us up and transform us and to put the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in us. And we thank you that he in us, you in us, is what we need and all we need for apart from you we can do nothing and i pray lord for those who are discouraged i pray for those who feel intensely the isolation from the personal communion communication uh involvement in the lives of those they serve i pray lord that you will fill their hearts very deeply with the love of god and the sense of your presence with them and in them and that as we look to brighter days, I pray you won't just, just tread water in the meantime, that we will anticipate brighter days. But in the meantime, we'll obey what we know you've given us to do. We'll nourish our souls in yourself through your word and through the encouragement and mutual fellowship of others in similar situations. Uh, and we pray that we will look back on these days as being unusually fruitful personally but also more widely in uh, the way our churches have grown and uh, developed and found new doors and new avenues. Thank you. We can trust you as the head of your body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this webinar and would be interested in checking out more, I encourage you to head to alphacanada.org slash webinars to see what the Alpha Canada team has coming up. Thanks again to Alpha Canada for letting us share this conversation here. Okay, for next week's episode, my pastor, Mark Clark, is taking over the podcast and jumping in the hosting chair to interview Pastor Guy Mason. Guy is the founding and senior pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of many churches that gather across multiple locations and cities in Australia. Mark and Guy, what a duo. This is going to be a wonderful conversation. We are so excited to share it with you. You better be here next week. Well, that's all I got for you today. Please don't forget to like, review, or subscribe. And if you haven't yet signed up to be part of our regular mailing list on ccln.ca, you should go do that now to receive all the updates and resources coming out of the CCLN world. Okay, thanks again for joining us and we will see you soon.